This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. That's right. It's time for With the First Pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode four. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. On today's show, we're going to talk about possibly the best defensive prospect in this class, a young man by the name of Will Anderson, who Rick knows quite well. Some under-the-radar names you'll want to remember as we get through this draft process. And finally, our favorite segment, Rick's Picks. This time we're talking about Christian Derisaw. And before we can go and remember, you can watch the show on the Pick 6 YouTube channel. Get the audio version on your favorite podcast platform by searching with the first pick. And since we're brand new, it would mean the world to us. If you could like this video on YouTube, and if you're watching us live, join us in the comments or leave a comment or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter, at Spielman underscore Rick, at Ryan Wilson CBS. And if you want to follow the show for updates or show clips, follow at WTFP Draft Pod or Rick's favorite social media outlet, TikTok, at NFL <laughs> Draft CBS. Rick, good afternoon. It is episode four. It feels like the feedback has been pretty positive, and I think you have a lot to do with that. How are you doing this afternoon? Yeah, no, excited. Uh, it's getting closer and closer every time we do one of these podcasts, and before you know it, uh, the Senior Bowl coming up, the Combine coming up, and there's a lot to cover between now and then. So uh, we're going to hopefully give uh, the fans a lot of inside information that we're both able to gather, and I can give a perspective from a GM point of view sitting in those draft rooms and what actually the conversations are going on. Okay, before we get jump dive into the news, you actually mentioned something that that raised the question in my mind. At this time of the year, typically uh, mid December, the bowl games are about to start. The college football season's over. How are you splitting up your time as an NFL general manager? Because obviously, you're worried about the day to day of the actual football team, uh, free agent signings, guys get injured, practice squad, all that other stuff. How much of your time is now being devoted to to taking a look? or taking a deep dive even into the next year's draft class, knowing what your needs are going to be, the contract situations of the guys currently in the roster, so on and so forth. Yeah, right now you're probably, as a general manager, not only uh, planning for the upcoming draft, but you're also starting to look in December. I always started to look at potential uh, unrestricted free agents that we may be interested in. I know the pro department was working hard on their end. We'd bring our college scouts in in December. We'd have our initial draft meetings in December. And what we usually did to reward the scouts was to fly their families in. Uh, they brought their wives mm. in, their kids in. Uh, we put them up in a suite. We had a nice dinner. Uh, kids got an opportunity, which is always big for them, to go down and run around on the field. Um, so 
it was a great time just to show the appreciation that the organization had for all those road scouts that usually don't live in the city, but are out there pounding the pavement and going from school to school to get us prepared for the draft. Because they're just getting off. They've probably been off the road two or three weeks at this point. So they're dog tired after going to how many schools in a typical week will a scout hit? Uh, it depends on the schedule and depends on the uh, how open the schools are. Um, so they're always juggling their schedule to get in there. Uh, you know, the A schools with the top prospects, we try to get two or three people in there at different times during the year. Uh, then the, the mid-tier prospects were what we call B schools. They had to get in there at least once. Uh, and then the C or college free agent uh, pool that we started, a lot of times those tapes were evaluated during the summer and the scout would determine whether he had to go into that school in his area or was just going to be what we referred to as a film grade. But a lot of times you may not have liked the guy his junior year or thought that he was draft worthy. All of a sudden someone pops up or someone's having a great year. So that film school all of a sudden becomes a B school where we have to get people in there. So you're always adjusting um, your schedule. Uh, depending on what's going out there and what pos prospects are popping up. Uh, some of the prospects that maybe you were going to go look at all of a sudden got hurt, unfortunately, and got a seasoning-ending injury. So you start out with your initial schedule in August, and you still have to hit all your schools, but it can adjust according to what's going on out there. All right, well, let's talk about uh, some some players that we know for certain are going to the draft because they they – said as much and you talked about this this morning on on cbs sports hq uh let's start with running back b john robinson out of texas and two weeks ago in, in the our favorite segment rick's picks you talked about how you uh as the the minnesota vikings landed on adrian peterson back in, in 2007 b john robinson if he came out 15 years ago would probably it feels like be a top five pick uh this year i'll be interested to see if he goes top 15 or even top 20 what are your thoughts on B. John Robinson, who, and I'll be honest with you, he's my running back too. We can talk about that in a second. Yeah, no, uh, yeah okay, well, we'll get that fixed as we go through the podcast, as we do every <laughs> week. <laughs> All right. This is, yeah, this is the most complete running back I've seen this year uh, because he is a big back that has excellent vision as an inline runner. Uh, for a guy this size, he can make stop-start type cuts in very elusive and small areas. Uh, he has great contact balance, and what I mean by that is that you see him get hit, but yet always going forward and gaining extra yards after the contact. He has tremendous speed to the outside in the open field. He's a big play threat every time he gets the ball in his hands. He's an excellent receiver out of the backfield. Uh, he's willing and more than willing, although he needs some technique work to clean up and pass protection. To me, he is as close to Sa Sa uh, Saquon Barkley is any running mm. back that's came out in recent memory. And that's who uh, he reminded me of the most. If it was back 10, 15 years ago, I, I would have no question that this guy would be a top five pick. And I would still argue, take out the quarterbacks, that this may be the most explosive overall offensive playmaker coming out in this year's draft. Where the question comes and where the questions come in the draft room are, how do we as an organization value a running back? And right. this kid has a lot of tread on his tires. The running back shelf life, as we refer to it, or where they reach the critical age in their career is a lot shorter than any other position. 
uh, out there on the football field. So if you're going to take this guy, and I do think that he can be a game changer for you on offense, it's just how do you value uh, running backs nowadays? Yeah, that's that's right. That's the question. I think in a lot of ways we were all spoiled by Adrian Peterson's athleticism because even when he suffered the that ACL injury, he came back in record time just because physically he feels he was like a freak. He was yeah. a freak, absolutely. And I think sometimes we ascribe those physical qualities to, to other players, and it's just not fair um, when we find out physically that they can't do the things that Adrian Peterson does. So to your larger point, is Saquon Barkley worth the top five pick? given how his career's unfolded. And he's having a fantastic year this year. He had the ACL injury last year uh, that kept him out. And he was certainly good early in his career the first year. But, like, if you had a time machine, I don't know if you take Saquon Barkley there just because, as you mentioned, how do you value a running back? Yeah, a, a couple of points. If you watched the game last night uh, against the Commanders, if it wasn't for Saquon Barkley, I don't think the Giants would have had a chance to win because – what you seen when you had a premier running back, especially on that last drive where they ate up so much of that clock in the fourth quarter because of Barkley hitting 10 yards, hitting 15, hitting 14 yards, and kept the clock moving. Um, and I don't know if the New York Giants would be as successful as they are this year. And I give credit to the head coach and, and to what he's done with that roster because they still have a lot of rebuilding to do. But Hell, they're 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 in the playoffs right now. Yeah, but a lot of that has to do with because of the player that Barkley is. The issue is how durable, regardless of what the name is at that position, the running back position. How durable are they to line up and take those hits, 16, 17, uh, and then if you get in the playoff weeks in a row. I mean, even look at uh, Derrick Henry, who was a monster-sized running back, and how many hits he takes, yeah. but how important is he to that Tennessee offense? Oh. When I looked, he had almost 56% of the offensive touches. The next guy, uh, and it was like over at the time I looked at it, 256 times out of 460-some touches on offense, he had the ball in his hands. Okay, the closest, next closest guy, was a player that had 40 touches. So <laughs> the whole Tennessee offense is around Derrick Henry, but that's kind of unique in today's NFL. And incidentally, Derrick Henry ended up being a second-round pick, got the second contract, which wasn't a deal-breaking contract. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Saquon because his deal is going to be up. They could franchise him. They could give him a big-money Zeke Elliott-type deal, or perhaps they could do something differently. But if you're watching on YouTube, Debo just threw up the graphic, and Debo's producing, which is always great. Uh, First-round running backs taken since 2015. And they're always the 2015, 2016, uh, not 2016, 2015, 2017, 2018, and 2021 all had at least – two running backs go in the first round. So while the value of running backs may be different than, than what it was when Adrian Peterson was drafted, for example, NFL teams are still rolling the dice, so to speak, on, on these running backs. And some have been hits, and like Saquon, I think, when he's certainly healthy, and certainly Christian McCaffrey, and some less so. I would imagine that the Chiefs would like a do-over in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's been injured, but they've seen Isaiah Pacheco, the rookie, the seventh-rounder out of Rutgers. He's carried the load. Jerick McKinnon had a huge game yesterday. Um, and they, they signed him in free agency. Melvin Gordon, I think maybe you got your money's worth uh, if you were the, the then San Diego Chargers out of him. He's had the, the fumbling issues since. But 
let me ask you this, Rick. We we talk about Bijan as your number one. My number one is, is Jameer Gibbs. And is there an opportunity? Do you think? And they're completely different players. You and I have talked about the, the the similarities between Gibbs and Alvin Kamara and your guy Dalvin Cook. And you mentioned Bijan and Saquon. Is there room in this draft for for two running backs? I'm assuming you like Jameer Gibbs number two to go in round one. Yeah, no, I think there is. But again, it's going to be on the team's philosophy and uh, what they value. Because if you have, uh, the problem is, is when you're looking at that draft board, and let's say you need an offensive tackle, and all the offensive tackles are gone right. that you had valued at your pick, and you're getting on the clock, and you're staring at that draft board, and you keep seeing this running back from Texas just looking at you in the face. Mm-hmm. That's where teams start to go. Do you go by need or do you go by best available player on the board? And we always took the philosophy, and we did with the Adrian Peterson pick, although he was a freak, was that we had, as I talked about, uh, Chester Taylor, who just came off a 1,000-yard season. But we felt Adrian Peterson and the way we were going to uh, scheme our offense that he was going to be the focal point of our offense. And, you know, I think he's a future Hall of Famer. Uh, before it's said and done. But today's NFL and today's game has changed where it seems like there's going to be more value on a number one receiver than it is on a number one running back. And when you say some of the names that you said, uh, there are a lot of very, very good running backs that you can get later in a draft, potentially as a college free agent, that have just as much success, maybe not as much publicity as Robinson coming out of Texas or an Adrian Peterson, but they have had a lot of success. All right. So I'll mention um, these two things. Debo just had the graphic up in my latest mock draft. Tell me which fit you like better or in typical Rick's fashion. If you hate them both, you can let me know that too. So I've had B. John Robinson going to the Buccaneers around 19th or so in recent mock drafts. Now the Bucs have a million needs, but just for the sake of argument, you can take that one or you can take, I've had Jameer Gibbs going at the end of the first round, with the Eagles second pick just to give Jalen hurts one more weapon, both as a running back, obviously, and, and as a receiver, uh, do you like one better than the other? Do you hate them both? Or do you, do you obviously love both of them? I, I'm asking you, what's your philosophy? Do you take a running back? If you're a general manager in the first round, do you I do not the values there. Then why he, are you putting them in the mock draft? Well, part of it's projecting where we think these, these guys, these young men might end up going. I, I wouldn't, like a couple of years ago, the Seals took Najee Harris, and that felt like it, it wasn't even a secret by March, and that ended up happening. Was that their best use of resources? Maybe, but probably not. I mean, they have needs along the offensive line. They have needs in the secondary, and I'll have to go back. I would have to go back and check who was drafted after Najee, and maybe the pick turned out turned out being the right one, given that there was nothing behind them. But, I mean, there are going to be teams that's gonna, that are going to seriously consider both those players, Robinson and Gibbs, I would think, right? Yeah, and if you, you're talking about Tampa – uh, they do definitely need a running back. Uh, White, who they drafted last year out of Arizona State, flashes, but I don't know if he is as consistent as they need to be. I think the biggest thing is what they're going to do at quarterback. And let's yep. say they have a young quarterback. Well, in order to take heat off the quarterback, let's get a premier running back that can carry the load while the quarterback develops. So that may be a conversation in a draft room. Uh, with Philadelphia, the rich get richer. And if they end up, although Sanders has had a very good year this year, but if they end up with a Jameer Gibbs, who to me is the 
most explosive playmaker, uh, although he is little and both mm-hmm. as a runner and as a passer. But I don't think he's going to be able to carry a load like a Robinson can because he's smaller framed. And if you look at some of the stuff that he's done when he plays a lot, uh, and we're talking about Gibbs, I think uh, he kind of took the game over uh, when Alabama played Tennessee. And I think he had 88 snaps. But that is a lot of hits. That is a lot of reps for a small running back. And then the following week, I believe they played Mississippi State, and then he didn't have as many reps. So to me, he's a 1A, B, but he also needs a partner to go with him. No, that makes sense. And Debo points out to me that uh, you ruined my Steelers because you took Christian Darisaw at the pick before they had to take Najee. Maybe Darisaw could be a Pittsburgh Steeler. So thanks for that, Rick. Um, so let's talk about one, one more of these notable draft declarations. And I, I know you just watched him, and I'm interested in your thoughts because he wasn't on the draft media radar until he hooked up with Hendon Hooker this season. And we're not talking about Cedric Tillman. We're talking about Jalen Hyatt. And, and I joke with you earlier when we talked that Mike Tomlin used to call Mike Wallace a one-trick pony. But the one trick he did was amazing. Now, where are you on Jalen Hyatt, who runs really, really fast in the straight line, but wasn't asked to do much else for the volunteers? Yeah, I, I watched a tape on him earlier this morning, uh, and there is no question about this guy's speed. And teams love receivers that can run fast because it gives them some explosive plays down the field. But a couple of questions that will be coming up is, one, why is it just a one-year wonder? I mean, I looked at it. He had... 97 targets in 2022, 15 touchdowns. In 2021, he was only targeted 32 times and one TD. So every team's going to want to get to the bottom of it. Why was there such a big gap between what you did in 21 and all of a sudden exploded on the scene in 22? And he really exploded when he had the 200-plus yard, five-touchdown game <laughs> against a pretty good Alabama defense. That uh, so couple of things that I've seen is he's going to definitely need some route work. Uh, he's not very elusive after the catch, but you don't have to be when you're out running everybody's <laughs> angle on the, in the open field. Right. And when he does get in contested situations or he has to go up and high point the ball because he is a thinly built kid, I haven't seen him in person, but at least it looked like on the tape, I think they're estimating him at only about 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh can he get stronger in those contested situations to go up and get the ball over a defensive back? But there's no question about the vertical threat and the playmaking ability that he brings. Those are the other questions that you got to get answered. Right. Absolutely. And I was trying to look quickly. Uh, you talk about one year wonder. And I remember Washington drafted a kid out of Michigan state whose name eludes me, Devin Thomas. Devin Thomas was a one year wonder. And the 2008 draft, he he went in the second round, and I remember I I didn't I was just a a fan at that point. I remember thinking, oh, this kid could be special, and he he didn't work out for him. And I, I think he was built differently. He was he had a thick build, and uh, he was more of a contested catch guy. But that's the name that popped out when you talk about one year wonders at the college level for whatever reason. And sometimes it's just a matter of of, of maturing at the right time, and it all coming together for you. But those are going to be questions that everyone's going to be asking. No doubt about it. I want to ask about my guy before we move on quickly, Bo Nix. Now, Bo Nix is returning to Oregon. I, I think he had a chance to be a day two guy. I don't know if that makes <laughs> Yep, you're giggling. There it is. Um, 
But let me ask you something. Why are we talking about a guy that went back in a draft? We got other guys to, to talk about, but let's go ahead and talk about your bonus. Well, here, here's I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it full circle. So let's say you're um in the organization and and you need a quarterback and, and perhaps someone that you, you could groom to start in two or three years or whatever. And you 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 liked Bo Nixon round two or round three. He goes back, and this quarterback class actually isn't that deep. Are you now thinking, okay, we have to have a plan in free agency? We have to re-sign a, a guy that that we're okay with, we don't love. What what are you thinking if you need a quarterback? Say your quarterback, your starter, his contract's up in a year, and you're trying to plan for the future, but the guy that you had your eye on in a a relatively shallow quarterback class has decided to return to school. Because what fans will say is, well, you know, we talked about this last week. You can tank and get them next year, but you don't know what the hell is going to happen 12 months from now. Are you someone's going to tank for your – No, but I mean, oh, like, tank, like tanking for Tua type of conversation. Like just wait till <laughs> next year or tanking for Justin Herbert. Um, is there any math that you're doing if you were looking for a developmental guy that perhaps was flying under the radar media-wise and he decides to return to school and now you have to – you need a backup plan? Yeah, but I don't know if uh, if, if Bo is the uh, answer – to the franchise uh, quarterback that you're looking for uh, for your football team, but we won't discuss that since he I was trying back. to make it r- relatively believable. I'm, he's not going to come in and be Trevor Lawrence, but you know, like a who's going to be? Who I mean, do you got a comparison? You know, best case. I don't want to say best case. I, like in between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a guy that can start six or seven or eight games for you if you need him, and he can hold the team, keep the team together. Well, yeah, uh, he'll have an opportunity to go back and prove your point uh, next year. So we'll talk about him next year when we get into I'm just into, telling uh, you, quarterbacks Rick, next year. I've talked to teams that are high on Bo Nix. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you have to get uh, influenced by outsiders instead of just – I'm just telling you, I'm watching the tape. I'm not talking to anybody, and I'm just telling you what I think. And I, I, watched, be- <laughs> I watched him, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's playing a lot better than I thought. And then I, I reached out to – to some scouts I know, and they said, yeah, you're not – in this particular instance, you're not crazy. I won't – they didn't speak in general terms. They just said specifically <laughs> it was crazy. Well, at least you got that going for you today. <laughs> <laughs> so Bryce Young and Will Anderson had a press conference today. They both said they're playing in their bowl game, and it, it's a – Congrats, yes. Alabama I, I, kids, tough, competitive, want to play anytime <laughs> the ball gets rolling out onto the playground. That's exactly what they said. That said, oh, they must have talked to Rick Spielman because that's exactly what he said <laughs> on last week's podcast. And um, it is interesting because, again, it's 2022. It's not 2017 when Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey were first sort of started opting out of these bowl games. And more importantly, it, uh, Alabama's not playing for a national title. They're playing in the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State on uh, December 31st, which is a great accomplishment if you're not Alabama, if you're another, if you're for Kansas State, for example. But you're reading more into this as an evaluator if you see Will Anderson and Bryce Young say, well, th- these are our teammates. We're not leaving them hanging. This is what we signed up for. We want to have an opportunity to continue to play, so on and so forth. Like that to you sticks out. Yeah, no, because it's competitive. They have some loyalty to their teammates, uh, even though they're not in the Final Four playing for a national championship game. They want to go out there and play with their brothers that uh, that they've been in the locker room for the last three or four years. And they want to go out there and prove a point that if these other guys are going to opt out, that I'm going to show you and show everybody in the NFL that if there's an opportunity for me to play, I'm going to go out there and play. And you're talking about guys that are probably top five draft picks in this year's class coming up. So let's talk about that. We've talked about Bryce Young before, but let's talk about Will Anderson because I think right now um, 
in terms of the non-quarterbacks, you mentioned Bijan being in that conversation. Obviously, Will Anderson's going to be there. Jalen Carter's going to be there as well. Let's start here. Is there anything that concern, <laughs> concerns you about Will Anderson's game? In my most recent mock draft, I had him going number three overall to the Seattle Seahawks, who desperately need a Will Anderson on that roster. I don't know what the holes of Will Anderson's game are, but I'll ask you because that you know this was your job for 30 years. So you didn't find any holes in his game? I was pretty impressed with the way he played football. Yeah, now I'll just tell you this. I watched all of his 2021 tape, and I thought he was the best defensive draft prospect to come out of Alabama in a long, long time. This year, there were some little ups and downs, but there's no question that this kid is going to be able to stand up from a two-point or put his hand down from a three-point, be able to rush the passer, have an influence on the outcome of games. We've seen with... uh, Thibodeau did last night as he continues mm. to grow and becoming a superstar uh, caliber type player. And I think Will Anderson has a lot of those traits, what you watch on the tape. The other thing that really takes it to another level for me is we just talked about he's going to go out and compete and he's going to play in a sugar bowl, but he is one of the most humble kids that I have ever interviewed. And I spent some time with him down in Alabama uh, all he wants to do is know how he can improve and how he can continue to get better. In his mind, he said, I don't believe I am where I need to be yet, and I need to keep going out there and continue to prove to myself and to everybody else that I can get better every time I step on that football field. So you've, look, I mean, you've been doing this for most of your adult life, and you've been in rooms with probably thousands of players at this point during the pre-draft process. And I would imagine some of them have told you the things that Will Anderson told you, and you knew they were BSing you. And other times you thought they were sincere. Is Are you sure? That's I guess that's I, what I'm asking. I, 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 I would bet my house on it, even though I'm homeless right now, since my house got yeah, washed away in the in the Hurricane Ian because I live on Sanibel. But I would bet my house on it if I had one that he's one of the most sincere kids that I've ever spoken with. And that's a huge box that you check. You don't have to worry about anything yes. when it comes. You don't to have that. to worry about character, about maturity, about passion for the game, about wanting to improve. Uh, always looking to get better uh, in practice. When I was down there during the summer, going through two-a-days, this kid was one of the hardest workers I saw during two-a-day practices. And if you can get through two-a-days down at the University of Alabama under Nick Saban, the NFL is going to be a cakewalk when you get into that training camp. So you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau a moment ago and the the impact he had last night in in the um, Washington-New York game. And the conversation about Thibodeau coming out was, and it was very nebulous, which was interesting. Um, not necessarily character concerns, but is he more concerned about his brand? I remember talking to several folks in the league, and they're like, yeah, I think this is overblown. This is something that's just sort of gaining steam, uh, the snowball going down the hill. At the end of the day, he's going to be a pretty good football player, and, and we saw that. Uh, no such issues with Will Anderson. But it was interesting. Last week, ESPN's Todd Mache said on air that there were some character concerns with Jalen Carter. And I hadn't heard anything. I didn't really check into it. But this is a, it felt like a weird thing to hear in December, number one. And it was interesting that all of Jalen Carter's teammates immediately came to his defense. And there were conversations about uh, the charity work he does back at home in Florida, where he's from. And it felt out of the left field. But also, you know, but more than anyone, how the smoke screens work. This just seems to be a little early smoke screen. Usually we see it in March and late April. 
so when you hear as a general manager, someone in the media say that a player has character concerns, does that affect your feeling about that player? Because at the end of the day, you have tens, hundreds of people working for you trying to sort all this stuff out. I imagine you don't get much of your news when it comes to player evaluation from media folks. No, and I, I apologize, Ryan, that I didn't listen to you when you brought up a point about character for, on some player or not. But we have plenty of resources and spent very good amounts of money to make sure that we tried to understand who we were bringing in in the building. And whether that was all the, the sources that our scouts have, the sources that I would talk to, people that you truly trust and know you're going to get a straight answer from, I mean, you go as far as to hiring private investigators out on campuses to follow these kids. If there's any type of potential concern, uh, you have your psychologist talk to these kids. So by the time this whole process is done, you'll know a lot more about that player than what is being reported in the media. And a lot of the things that you know or that you've dug up will probably never come to light. Uh, in the media. So when you see guys start to fall down the draft and people are wondering what's the matter, probably more than likely uh, there is team or teams that have very serious concerns that were not made public. And then on the other hand, um, you, you may hear a lot of smoke screens on getting put out in the media that may be getting put out by other teams. So my rule of thumb, and uh, believe me, I've seen it all and seen a, seen a lot that was reported in the media. And sometimes you just shake your head, but you let all that smoke screen and BS go because you know how hard your scouts work, your personnel department work to get all the background information uh, that you need to make sure that you're bringing the right player into your organization. So I mentioned this before. This is my fifth draft, covering the draft for, for CBS Sports. And what I've realized is that uh, the longer you're in this thing in the media, the more it's quite clear that the media, especially from about February until the end of the draft, anything they say publicly is almost certainly not true. And maybe not intentionally not true, but they're in situations, and you know this better than I do, sometimes it, it makes sense in, in personnel situations that aren't regarding the draft, but maybe contract situation, you want a player to do something, a player wants something else. You leak certain things to media members to, to sort of get some leverage or to put something out there, your side of the story. There's no reason for anyone in the league to say anything to anyone in the media about what their draft plans are down the stretch. Like there's no upside for you to do that. And that's what I've learned. And when I talk to people I know in the league off, you know, off the record, They'll tell me things that you're talking about, like player X is injured. Player X had this happen, so that's why this didn't happen in terms of where he was drafted. And it makes a lot more sense when you pull the curtain back. Uh, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you ever been the perpetrator of a smokescreen to a media member? <laughs> what, what, what is the definition of smokescreen? Have you said something that you knew was it true about a player you wanted to see how far this media member would, would, would put it out there. Like we think this player is, you, you joke all the time. Like this player's a seventh round pick when he's a top 10 pick. Have you ever done anything like that? I'll just say, I plead the fifth. Let's move <laughs> on in the show. <laughs> Love it. All right. So um, you're not concerned about Jalen Carter based on a media report. You're going to do your homework and that you'll find out exactly what type of player he yeah, is. Yeah, and people will know and find out what they need to know, but there's no question about when you watch that kid on tape uh, between him <laughs> and Will Anderson. It's, <laughs> they are two real dudes that are going to make an impact for some teams next year. 
yeah, that that's the takeaway. And right, maybe there is something we don't know. We'll find out. But uh, in terms of of what we've seen and heard, Jalen Carter seems to be saying and doing all the right things. His teammates have his back, and on the field, <laughs> as you note, he's going to be the one of the first people to hear his name called. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about some under-the-radar prospects. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Rick. We each came up with five names of guys that by the time April gets here, folks will know who they are but may not have an idea yet. Maybe they're NFL fans who are just uh, dipping their toe into the draft waters. Maybe they're college fans of a specific team and haven't uh, had the whole purview of the college landscape. But that's what we're here for. So we'll we'll go back and forth, and we'll start with your your list first. I'll let you choose your player. You can start at number one there. You can mix it up. Uh, I'm going to go. This is in no specific order, but uh, we just talked about Robinson, but a name that everybody has to get to know, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see him show up down at the Senior Bowl. There's another lad, a number two running back at Texas, Roshan Johnson, who is just as big or may not or may even be bigger uh, than Robinson, but this kid was very impressive to watch on tape. The thing that's intriguing about this kid is that he has some little man movement skills. He is not as quick twitch maybe as Robinson is, but this guy will dead leg a defender in a hole. And by that, you mean th- this guy can just kind of drop his weight and spin and get out of contact and get downfield. He has open field speed. It's a build-up type speed, but he had a 50-yard, 52-yard touchdown run in the tape I watched against Oklahoma State. He catches the ball out of the backfield. Uh, he's more than willing as a blocker. Uh, they use him on some as a kickoff returner, although I think he's more of a backup kickoff returner at this level than a true number one type kickoff returner. And if you keep digging and going down through the special teams, this guy went down and two or three times blew up returners when he was running down on kickoff coverage, which tells me this guy is not just a running back, that he is a very good football player. So I'm anxious to see him down at the Senior Bowl, and he's kind of been second fiddle uh, at Texas. But I think by the time this pre-draft process gets through, uh, he's going to be climbing up the draft boards pretty quick. You know what, man? I can't disagree with you. Did you call him a lad, by the way? I like that. 
a young lad. A young lad. He he is fun to watch. And I don't know if you mentioned it, but no no tread on the tires either. He hasn't right. had more than 100 carries the last three seasons. I think he had 100 carries in his in his rookie his freshman campaign. Um, and I watched the Oklahoma game this morning, and I mean they beat the the, the pants off that Oklahoma team. But he was doing many of the same things that, that you just talked about, and I, I'd like him a lot. How much value does backup kicker Turner find, but how much value does a coverage team bring to a player like this with low mileage who has high upside as a running back? Well, as he's developing him, he's not your number one or if he's your 1B or number two and you're rotating in and out, where the value of being able to do some things on special teams comes is because you only have X amount of guys – active on game day so your backup receivers your backup what we call big skill guys linebackers tight ends uh backup secondary guys and if you can get some big skills from the offensive side of the ball which is hard to get that can go out there and play special teams that's just an added bonus for you all right i'm i'm gonna risk the wrath of rick i like <laughs> i like this guy on day two and maybe early day two, earlier day two mid to early day two because low mileage, because of the special teams angle that you ask, he feels like a running back two from day one, and then you go from there. How do you feel about that? I'm I actually going to uh, pleasantly, surprisingly agree with you, and I'm not so sure before this is said and done that this is not the third running back off the board. Oh, I love it. We need a uh, an applause drop, Debo, because Rick, for the first time in three and a half episodes, <laughs> agreed with something that I said. All right. I, I was very... Should we uh, stop the segment now because it's going to get ugly going forward? I know. It's like George Costanza <laughs> finally hits the joke. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> drop Mike, Drop the mic and move on. <laughs> All right. Let's go to my guy. and You can uh, turn the tables on me here. Uh, I'll start with, with the guy that I know you, you have questions about that I like a lot. Let's go with Michael Wilson, wide receiver out of Stanford. There's the face I was looking for. Um, you know, your guy, we'll talk about in a minute, Xavier Hutchinson. These guys are in the same category physically, I feel like. They're over 6'1". They're over 200 pounds. They, they run pretty well. Um, we can argue about who has better hands. But I, I think I'm not a huge fan. The guy that catches the ball more consistently is usually considered <laughs> the guy with better hands, just so you know. But okay. Let's go on. I'll make a note of that. I'm not a huge Tanner McKee guy. I know some people are high on him. That's fine. And we can talk about him later, the quarterback for Stanford. But I thought Michael Wilson physically did some things well that translate to the next level. Is he a class A route runner? No. Does he have focus drops? Yes. But I think he is physical at the line of scrimmage. I know you had issues at the USC game. I think he can get off the line. I think he he uh, is good on the short and intermediate routes. Uh, I didn't mind his ball tracking it all down the field. And I think, I think if he went like third round, like a third round guy that you project to, to work as the number three or number four early on and go from there, I, I don't hate it. You're shaking your head. Yeah. The, well, can I disagree <laughs> with you on some things now? Now we're it. back to the normal part of the show. Yeah, we're back on earth. Go ahead. <laughs> so, I did. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my report and it, he did not play after the Notre Dame game because I believe he got injured and I don't know what his injury is yet. Yeah, they didn't but, say what it was, interestingly enough. Yeah, no, because I tried to pull it up and I don't know what the injury was, but this guy is a good sized receiver. He does have enough speed. I agree with most of the points you made. Okay, the question okay. I have on this kid is he has a tendency to try to cradle the ball. Mm. when he's coming in on inside routes and at times 
I'm not saying that he's a coward, but he sees ghosts. And most of his drops that I charted were on inside breaking routes where he was going to head through traffic. And this guy does is a tough kid. He made some nice catches in traffic, but his concentration, when it gets a little muddy in there, uh, that's where he had the tendency to have his most, most drops. And the other thing, I did see him go up and high point some downfield, but when you're talking about big receiver, I want to see him be able to go up and torque his body and win most of those 50-50 balls, and I didn't see this kid do that consistently enough. And I'll give you credit, he played very poorly at USC, and that was the first game I watched. And sometimes as an evaluator, when you put on that first game, it's hard to get get that out of your head. <laughs> right. Uh, but he did play better against Washington. He did play pretty good against Notre Dame as well. I saw him as a Saturday guy, to be honest with you. Oh. If he does run fast, this guy is draftable, so you're right on that part. You just got him in the wrong day. He's going to be in Saturday. He's going to be a Saturday draft pick okay. at this point. We'll see him at the Senior Bowl, and in the preseason, he ran a 4 4 We'll see if those numbers are true or not as we get through the process. Who you got? Who's next, Rick? Uh, well, let me counter you. Oh, here we go. <laughs> with actually a receiver that I think is going to go in on Friday and is, is going to make a lot of noise down at the senior bowl. And this kid, Xavier Hutchinson, is a name to remember, uh, a receiver out of Iowa State. Now, he was the only offensive weapon they had. They yep. had very inconsistent quarterback play. This guy does have his drop, so before you jump down my throat, I did see a couple of drops. I saw the big drop against Texas, but when he's lining up and how he is able to torque his body into unique positions, to put it mildly, to come up with catches, it was incredible. To see his balance along the sideline and one hand to catch and get one or two feet inbounds to make that reception was incredible. I try to compare him to a Dobbs, who I watched uh, out of uh, uh, Nevada last year. And this kid is more talented to me than Dobbs. And I think if this kid runs well at the combine and shows up down at the senior bowl, I think this guy has a chance to be a legit Friday receiver and someone's going to get a number two receiver out of this kid. No, I get that. And I won't push back too hard on that. Uh, you you saw the Texas game where he had some drops. Uh, the Kansas State game, he had some drops late in the game that just, to your point earlier, sometimes uh, you see things that leave a sour taste in your mouth and it, it, it affects your ability to look at the overall picture. I like him, though. I had him going late day two. And I think, and again, this is the fall. So he goes to Senior Bowl. He balls out there in the one-on-one drills. He runs a four, four, five, or whatever. He ends up running <laughs> as a big kid. He's 6'2", listed 205. And, and that's the other thing, and, and I'll ask this quickly, and this is not necessarily specific to Hutchinson or, or Michael Wilson. When you see these guys of this size, 6'2", 200, making these contested catches, is your first thought, that's great, or is your first thought, okay, why aren't they getting separation consistently against lesser competition? Well, my guy gets more separation than your guy is does, so that's the number one point. I'll give you that. In general, okay. though, what are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, no, because we'll talk about probably down the road here a receiver from Tennessee – that does not get separation when he goes down the field in Tillman, but that's a whole nother conversation. But we're going to have a new segment on the show. Yep. It's I'm going to bet Ryan a dollar on every time I disagree with him. And oh I will bet you a dollar that Hutchinson goes before your Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson from Stanford. Did you ever think that Michael Wilson might be related to me and I'm just trying to pump up his draft stock a little bit? Did that ever cross your mind by any chance? 
Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> not, not, the, not his athletic ability and yours. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. I'll make a note. And I don't feel great about this bet. I think he'll win this bet, but let's do it for fun. All right. That's a dollar. So we'll do uh, Xavier versus Mike and, and we'll do that. That'll be the, the first bet. So I'll make a note of that and we'll keep track of these things as we go through the process. All right. I'm going to talk about my guy who I think is going to counter your guy in terms of uh, impact once he's drafted. Let's go with Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle, the left tackle out of BYU. Now, <laughs> we talked quickly about him this morning, and your first note was that he's he's skinny, and he is skinny. There's there's no doubt about it. But I thought he's listed 6'8", 307. I mean, that's light as far as offensive tackles goes, no doubt about it. Uh, left tackle, and I thought he played with a much better anchor than someone at that size and that weight. I was pleasantly surprised. And he did it consistently. I watched uh, the Boise State game and a Notre Dame game. And Notre Dame has some have some dues. Isaiah Fossey is going to get drafted uh, probably on day two. And we'll talk about him at some point. But I was impressed with his athleticism for someone that size. I thought he moved pretty well laterally. I thought he got to the second level much better than I expected him to. And I had very few expected issues with him that I thought I might have. I, I was pleasantly surprised with how he played. And he feels like... And this is the other thing. Offensive linemen are overdrafted all the time because those are huge needs. You need offensive linemen, clearly, to protect the quarterback and get the running game and all that other stuff. So I think he's a day-two guy, and I, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, no, I'm not going to argue too bad with you here. As long as they rush down the middle of him, he seemed to anchor for a tall, skinny guy. Where mm -hmm. I had the issues is when these guys are able to work his edges, which I'm talking about his inside shoulder or outside shoulder, and maybe go back and look at the Baylor game because he just got overpowered in that game and one of the games I saw. Try to compare him to uh, Christensen, who came out a few years ago from BYU, who actually moved inside because I don't know how long this guy's arms are. 35 um, is according to the, the measurements I have. Okay, well, he's going to be long enough to be a left tackle then. Uh, but but uh, Christensen, who went in the third round to Carolina, I think he's their starting left guard right now. And even a guy that we took uh, from Boise, uh, Ezra Cleveland, uh, who we took in the second round, uh, who I had some similar traits that this guy does. So I'm not going to argue with you there. I think he is a Friday guy. I'm anxious to see uh, how he performs during this uh, pre-draft process. So. Can you be 6'8 if he is actually 6'8? And, and is that too tall to play guard or is that not? Uh, I think if he has 35 inch arms and he play and he's that tall, that people are going to keep him at tackle. Okay. And if they don't think he is athletic enough to play left tackle, especially uh, if he gets worked through his edges and can't recover, that they'll look at him on the right side as well. Okay. All right. I'll take that. That's a win for me, as far as I'm concerned. You didn't blast me. All right. Who do you got next? Okay. My guy, another dollar bet, Cody Botch. <laughs> from Mock. North Dakota's mock, right? Yeah. Yeah. From North Dakota State will go before your guy from BYU. That's another so. dollar bet. Look at this. Look at this. Have you seen this, Rick? This graphic? No, I can't see anything. I'm just talking in front of a camera right now. All right. So I sent you his uh his mugshot with the with the long hair and the missing the front teeth. I think you see that one? No, I can't see it. No, I texted it to you this morning. Oh, I, I don't answer your texts. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> so, well, you'll be you'll be pleasantly you'll be pleasantly surprised when you see the picture because uh, what Debo has on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, is when Cody Cody Malco arrived at North Dakota State in 2017, and he is a little bit older, and you can talk about that matters. He was six five two twenty one, came in as a tight end, and they showed this graphic during uh, one of the games recently for North Dakota State. He's now six six three zero three, and he looks like Thor if Thor lost a fight 
and lot, <laughs> got his two front teeth knocked out. <laughs> but he is an animal. So you go ahead and talk about your guy. Yeah, no, I love his athleticism. I love the passion he plays with. When you're looking at these offensive linemen, he has a lot of grit to his game. You look if he's a finisher, and he definitely shows that. And you know, I've been watching North Dakota State, even doing some TV scouting as they go through the in advance uh, through these playoffs uh, at the FCS level. So, but he is a dominant force uh, at the level that he's playing at. Now, he's got a lot of technical issues that he's going to have to clean up. One of the things when you watch him in pass protection, the thing that really bothered me—I love how light his feet are how he's able to adjust, how he's able to move in space. But when he sets in pass pro, and he's not going to get away with this at the next level, his hands come outside like this. So he doesn't punch and lock on. His hands are coming to the outside, and guys get into his body. So the one thing I really want to watch down at the Senior Bowl when we get down there is how he takes the coaching and how much that his technique improves, especially in pass pro, because the athletic skill set is there. But a lot of things that he may have a negative uh, evaluation on are all things that I think can get corrected with coaching. But love the kid's attitude and the way he plays football. He was fun to watch. I agree. It's one of those things where sometimes you're you're watching players and you get sort of like you just get lulled because nothing's happening or they're not living up to expectations. This was thoroughly enjoyable. I think he's, and this is not even some grand proclamation, I think he's better than Cordell Bolson and Dylan Raddance, who were offensive linemen out of North Dakota State. Uh, Cordell was drafted, I think, on day three by the Bengals, and he's been starting some. I'm not sure if he's still the starter, and, and Dylan Raddance was drafted by the Titans. I think uh, Malk is much stronger, but 32-inch arms, 32-and-5-8s, 32 32-and-3-8s, 32 excuse me, inch arms. What does that say for a left tackle? Well, that's going to be a concern unless you're that unique of an athlete and, uh, and have that unique of an athlete. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a tackle. I'm here at some point from Northwestern, and I came up with a pretty good, uh, I think, comparison to him, that there are some left tackles that have shorter arms that are able to play left tackle in this league. So I think when he goes down to the senior bowl, you'll see him play tackle, but you also see him play inside a guard. And the one thing that you need to watch and what we did as evaluators, when you're down there at the senior bowl and all, all of a sudden you take a left tackle that has played pretty much outside or at the tackle position his whole career, and then all of a sudden you throw him in at guard and down at the senior bowl, that happens a lot faster. So you have to react a lot quicker and it's funny when you watch some of these kids that gets that will slide inside at guard. That first day or two in practice, they're really struggling. But all of a sudden, they get caught up to the speed of the game, and then you see them start to build and, uh, and get better uh, in the next couple of days at practice. So this is one of the kids that I'm very excited to go down and see and see if they line him up at tackle. Can he hold up with those short arms? Or will they move him in the guard and see how he holds up when things happen a lot quicker than they do when you're lined up at tackle on the edge? Yeah, I think Zion Johnson out of BC last year convinced a lot of people that he could play just about anywhere because he kicked inside at the Senior Bowl. He was a left tackle, uh, I think in part because of injury at BC, played guard and did some center work at, 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 in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and he was first-round pick of the Chargers and um, for, for good reason. Uh, you mentioned the short arms. I remember asking – Three or four or five Super Bowls ago, I was I asked Dante Skarnecchia, the the longtime great offensive line coach uh, for the Patriots, about 
concerns with short arms. And this is the Jonah Williams draft because Jonah Williams had short arms, quote unquote, coming out of out of Alabama. And he said, if you block with your arms close to your body anyway, it doesn't matter if your arms are 38 inches, you're, you're going to have shorter arm. Matt Light had short arms. It's just a matter, uh, to your point about mouth technique, like technique uh, helps overcome a lot of physical shortcomings. I mean, it's not going to save you every time, especially against some of these NFL pass rushers. But I thought that was an interesting perspective. And you don't automatically disqualify a player who's excelled at, at the college level just because he may not check every physical box. So let's talk about, I'll let you choose the guy you want to talk about on my list because we're going to speed this thing up so we can get to Rick's picks, my favorite segment. So I'll do one more guy, and then we'll get to your guys. Okay. Uh, guy that I actually kind of liked. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, Can I guess? Let me guess who it is. Okay. Go ahead. It's got to be Luke Musgrave, tied in at Oregon State. I did like him a little bit. Is that who you're going with? Was, was, though, although he's another guy that was hurt and missed most of the yeah. year. Uh, but I saw the two games against Boise and Fresno uh, before he got his knee injury. And this guy has excellent length. He's a little, looks a little narrow frame, but this guy can be a threat in the passing game. He has such a large catching radius uh, and he makes contested catches. He needs to get stronger as a blocker, but I think this is a pretty deep uh, draft class at tight ends where you're yep. going to get a lot of value probably on Friday and even early into Saturday. And I think this kid although he didn't play much this year, uh, going down and having a big senior bowl week uh, will definitely help this kid get in the mix in that Friday uh, tight end group. I mean, I can't even disagree with any of that. I love it. All right, so let's let's try to knock through your next few guys, see if we can do this in a couple minutes here. I'll let you pick which one you want to start with. I, I love both these players, so I, unfortunately I can't push back on you, uh, whichever direction you go here. All right. Uh, one of the most... Underrated guys that I really like on Friday uh, is a kid from Alabama named Brian Young. And when you watch this kid on tape, uh, he doesn't have great length. He's not 6'5", 6'6", but he is a 6'3", 6'4", kid that's built extremely well through his upper and lower. And he can play the run. He can play multiple positions. He can play defensive end. They slide him inside as what we refer to as an under tackle or a three technique. I don't think he's a nose, although I've seen a few snaps of him at nose in pass rush situations. I had no question about this kid and how he played to run. What I really wanted to see is can he develop as an inside nickel rusher, which everybody is looking for. So I project him to be a base defensive end. I don't think he's going to be big enough to hold up versus a run as an under tackle or a three technique, but I do think he can slide inside and be an effective pass rusher in third down and nickel situations. And my last guy, and thanks to you, Ryan, I've got to give you credit. He said, you better look at those two safeties from Illinois because they're also pretty good players. And I really, really liked uh, Martin, the safety from Illinois, who mostly lined up in the slot. He's a long, rangy kid that can run. Uh, you may be able to get away with him as a nickel corner to get you through a game. But I thought this kid had excellent range. I thought this kid will, will, is more than willing in support, solid wrap-up tackler. And as a free safety in the modern-day NFL, this guy is going to excel from center field in the way he covers in space. You know it's the holiday season, Devo, when Rick is uh, saying nice things about some of the things I've done, so I'll take it. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. Uh, yeah, Chartavius Martin is, is, is a fun player, without doubt. And he, unlike Devin... Um, Devin Witherspoon, right? Devin Witherspoon? 
Yes, teammate Devin Witherspoon, uh, who's undersized, and we'll have questions about that. Dertanis- no, 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 no. Now we're getting off track here. No. You're talking about your Brown brothers, the short Brown, the, the Brown, the other safety. Jason Sidney. Yeah. Jason uh, but De- Devin's slight, slight frame. But my point is that Martin's not. Martin's, he looks the part. Witherspoon looks the part. You tell me Witherspoon doesn't look the part? I don't know if he weighs 185 pounds. Oh, my God. He was the best football player on that field. Every I time agree. I I'm just saying physically those will be the He's the a corner. This kid's going to be a safety. Okay. All right. Well, the Christmas over. There goes out. Yeah, bah humbug. Let's get back to reality. This Christmas <laughs> All right. year is starting to depress me. <laughs> That's what I get for going off script. All right. Let's go now to a little segment we like to call Rick's Picks, one of my favorite segments. Uh I mean, we, we've crushed it with Rick's picks. And by we, I mean you. We've talked Justin Jefferson. We've talked Adrian Peterson. Last week, we talked Stephon Diggs in terms of how they all ended up in Minnesota. Uh, thanks to your, your doing, Rick. This time, it's Pete Prisco's favorite player on planet Earth. He can't quit talking about this guy. Virginia Tech's own Christian Derrissaw. So how did Christian Derrissaw, who you stole from the Steelers one pick before they took Najee Harris, <laughs> how did he end up in Minnesota? Yeah, this was very interesting, and to give again, give a lot of credit to our personnel staff and our coaches and all the work they did on this kid. Um, it was an interesting draft that year, and Slater was everybody's probably number one offensive tackle coming out of North short arms. Uh, but he had short arms, but the guy ends up being a pretty good player. You know, now he's hurt. I know he's uh, on IR for the year, but he uh, he was everybody's number one offensive tackle coming out. And then you had Vera Tucker, who was from USC, and people were deciding whether he was a tackle or was he a guard because there was another guy that was a very good offensive lineman, but what did he have, Ryan? Short arms. Right. So, yeah, pay attention as we go through these things. I was paying attention. I wanted to mention before you keep going, though, Panay Sewell is also – he was the first one that went to the Lions. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he was a – yeah, that's right. I forgot about him. But He's let me ask you about Panay real quick before you go on. Were there any concerns about Panay being young and the fact that he hadn't played a lot of football because he opted out that last year? Or was he still clearly going to be one of the best physically among the offensive linemen if you had an opportunity, if he were there for you as well? Yeah, no, he was clearly one of the best offensive okay. linemen coming out in this draft. So, no, there was no question about that. But let's stay on task here. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we're, we're there, and we got uh, Darisol there, and we're looking at Vera Tucker, and we needed a left tackle. So we felt that as we uh, sat there and discussed this through our pre-draft meetings, if we got in this scenario where we'd be able to trade back, pick up, uh, some extra draft capital and still land one of these two guys. Uh, but there was word on the street uh, that, that uh, the Jets really liked Vera Tucker, and we knew that he wasn't going to last on how far, uh, depending on how far we went back in the draft. What the knock on Darisol was, was that one, he was coming off a uh, hernia surgery and had a groin injury, so he missed uh, towards the, the, the latter half of the year. And then the other thing was when you watch tape on him is that everything just looked so easy to him. I mean, he never was really challenged. So in a run blocking, he would knock guys around. But in the pass pro, uh, he was really good feet. He had long arms. Uh, he can slide and mirror. He can, cover, he can do it all. The question was, does he play with enough grit 
Uh, and that mm. was the question on him uh, going around in, during that draft process. So we decided to trade with the Jets to try to pick up some extra draft capital. And I believe we moved down to 23. That's right. That's where it started to get a little hairy because <laughs> as you look at, you went from where you were at down to 23. Now you have to look in between there. Where is a threat of an offensive or of a team taking an offensive tackle? So as we're going through there, we said he, we like him too much. I, you know, and I would say a lot of the comparisons we were making in that draft room thought he had some similar traits to when Trent Williams came out of Oklahoma. Now, oh, I don't wow. know if he'll end up being at Trent Williams, but his body movement and how fluid he moved and how easy things came to him reminded us some of Trent Williams. So we decided that, well, we have all this draft capital. Let's take some of it and try to move back up. So we tried to make a couple of trades, try to get back up in the teens. Uh, we weren't able to do that. No one wanted to trade with us. Vegas took Leatherwood then. So yep. we felt that, okay, we still have a chance to get him if he continues to fall to 23. The next threat we felt in that draft was – in Indianapolis because they could have went offensive tackle or they could have went defensive end. And they were at 21. Tennessee did not need either of those positions at 22. So we were concerned about which direction that uh, Chris Ballard and the Indianapolis Colts were going to go. And we felt that we were in a win-win situation, whether it was Quiddy Pay, uh, whether it was Darasol, that we were going to get a good football player. And there was one other name that I won't mention that was up there on the board as well during that time. But Quiddy uh, was in the conversation as well? Everybody was in a conversation. <laughs> so <laughs> You're talking to me, Rick. No one's listening. You can tell. Them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, 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 had, we, we felt uh, Quiddy Pay was, uh, was a very good football player yeah. as well. Um, but when Indianapolis, uh, end up taking him, then we had, then we got very fortunate that, uh, that Darius all came to us at 23, but there was a lot of conversations going on, a lot of phone calls going on, on trying to get back up to make sure that we were able to land Darius all. And it was one of those drafts where you got lucky and mm -hmm. he fell to you and you didn't have to move up to go get him. And you know, we moved down and still was able to get some extra draft capital. No, so this is one of those uh, breaks that, that that fell our way. Yeah, a lot of those breaks seem to fall your way. It means you're doing something right. But it's interesting because Elijah Bear Tucker goes to 14, and I'm looking at the names that were drafted in between there and 23 and thinking what teams were married to the idea of taking Zayvon Collins or, or Alex Leatherwood, who's since been released by the, the Raiders. Jalen Phillips is a good football player. Jamin Davis is is still working his way into to being sort of that first-round prospect. Kadarius Tony, the Giants have already moved on from him, and then Quiddy Pay. So it, it is, it's interesting when – and is it fair to say that at this point in the process, sometimes you can fall in love with players and be unwilling to move off of them, even though maybe it makes sense if you get a phone call and offering something in return? Uh, just because, you know, you're like, OK, I, I feel like I'm invested in this player, almost like you're recruiting uh, a college kid, a high school player to come play in college. So I, I guess I'm I, I lost. I got lost in that uh, babbling point you were trying to make. <laughs> Do you fall in love with players <laughs> to the point where it will keep you from taking phone calls? There are it, it, when you look at your draft board, to be honest with you, and uh, all kidding aside, is that. <laughs> If you look at your draft board and that player is there, 
and you have no depth behind that player, because yeah. I don't know if we really liked another left tackle mm -hmm. after Darisol. There was no way that we because we did get some phone calls, but there was no way we were going to move. We already took enough risk moving down to 23 where we got him. So we were very fortunate there. But you have to understand how, and the question I always ask myself, how sick am I going to feel if we move around too much and we end up losing this player? Yep. And he was in one of he is in that category that would have made you sick if you ended up losing this player if you got too cute moving up and down in the draft. And the next offensive lineman off the board after uh, Christian Darisaw, Landon Dickerson went 37. He's an interior guy. Tevin Jenkins was a right tackle at Oklahoma State. He went 39. And then Liam Eichenberger from Notre Dame went 42. And I think it's fair to say that none of those guys have been Christian Darisaw. They play different positions. but Yeah, well, they all were tackles that actually ended up, uh, I believe they're all guards now. Yeah, so to your point. All right, that's been another despite the snide comments from Rick. Another great episode of Rick's Picks. <laughs> Christian Darisol. we got a long list of these things. That's it. That's a wrap on episode four. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. If you hated it, tell an enemy. Just tell somebody. Thanks again. Thank you, Rick. Merry Christmas to you. I'm glad you get to spend some time with your family finally. Thank you, Debo. Thanks to everyone who watched or listened. Happy holidays, and we'll see you soon. Happy holidays. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.